Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. All right, excellent. Well, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Um, we're going to get into our study, but first let me open up in prayer. Father Yahweh, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you for uh, the Shabbat day, a day that you set aside for us to enter in, to relax, and to get closer to you, Father, and your Son. Father, we thank you for this day. And as we look into your words, we ask your guidance that your ruach, your spirit will empower us so that we may become better and stronger children that you deserve us to be, Father. And that is our desire. We thank you again because that your words became flesh and he, your son, has dwelt among us and he is bringing us back and he is our redemption and we see him as our Messiah and our King your great act of love. Amen. Well, good to see all you guys. Um, it's nice to be back. First, I'd like to say thank you, Jerry, for taking care of things while I, I, this section of our service uh, when I was gone. I thank you so much, Jerry. I really appreciate that. And give Jerry a round of applause. How about that? <laughs> so it is good to be back. Uh, uh, so if you see me my, my back is itching because <laughs> it's peeling. So if you see me rubbing up against the wall like a bear, you know what's going on. <laughs> All right. So, but it was a wonderful time that we, it was to get away with my beautiful wife. And we had a wonderful time. And the father really blessed our time. So I, and it's nice to be back though. So, so we are still in the book of Matthew. Um, and um, as usual, I'll go through some of this here in the beginning, and then I'll uh, hopefully I should be able to ha leave it open for the uh, for any comments or whatever. And again, you just raise your hand, and the mic will find its way to you. And what we here at Living Messiah ask is you just be on point of what we're talking about, and uh, try to make it as brief as possible in case there's others that uh, have something they'd like to say as well. Like I said, we're going to start chapter 22. We finished up chapter 21. And why I'm saying that is because chapter 22 is the flow again from chapter 21. He's still talking uh, uh, to the same audience. He's in Jerusalem. It's the time of Passover, which is uh, right here. It would be probably within the four or three days leading up to, uh, to Passover day itself. And ultimately, the day that he gets crucified. And I'm speaking of Yahshua, of course, here. Um, so you have to take uh, this, uh, you have to bring that into the context of where he's at and whom he's talking to and the place that he's at. Um, and what's so interesting, you know, like I said, this is that four days just, uh, just like in the Exodus story, okay? The... They were to bring a lamb in four days ahead of time and scrutinize it and look at it and make sure they had 
a, a reasonable lamb, you know, that they were going to um, take that blood and put it on the doorpost and eat of that lamb, and they were to be ready to go urgently. It would have your staff in your hand, be ready to go. So notice this will be the background that we'll see how Messiah and what, what he's doing. And why I'm saying that is because, see, bringing that lamb in in the Exodus, what does that have to do with Yeshua now? Well, we all know, oh, he's the lamb of God. But I want you to see that there's more to the picture, okay? When, it's, when John said, behold, the lamb of God, okay, there's more to the picture. And if we don't go back to the Exodus story and read it, and yes, we understand, I, I think, coming from uh, most of the perspective of most, where we, most of us, have come from, we see all the blood of the lamb and, and that. But there's more. There really is. Um, even to the point that that four days scrutinizing, looking at this lamb, making sure it was perfect, this is exactly what's happening to Yeshua when he came into Jerusalem. All right? He's being criticized. He's being tested. You know? Is this guy a prophet? Is he... Who is this guy? You know, he's healing people. I don't know. He can't be from the most high, but yet he's healing people. He has to be. So this is all that's, that's going on here. So and interesting to see that Yeshua, his life has played out probably much in much deeper ways if we pay attention than we ever thought. Okay? And all that does, and it should encourage you, it should strengthen you. And knowing like <laughs> I am on the right track. This one is from the Most High. All right? But that won't happen if you don't pick up your Bibles and read them. All right? So, so we see Yeshua being examined. We'll see that here. And being questioned by the people. And it's interesting. This is ultimately, because I said he's in Jerusalem around the temple. A lot of this happens. Not all, but <laughs> he's there, you know, going to the, the temple. So just like in the, the house or the family in the Exodus, bringing it into the home and scrutinizing it, the father most likely be in charge about that, not excluding the rest of the family, but, you know, being the authority. So it's interesting that Yahshua himself is at our father's house, and this is going on from the rest of the family, all right? <laughs> all right, the rest of the kids are doing this. So you, you see what I'm saying? That the picture that's going on here. And I think it's beautiful the, just how, you know, how the Father makes things so simple, but yet if we sit and meditate, we get to see that there's so much more right in front of our eyes as well. So I hope you see the parallel. Uh, I, I hope you see the parallel because when you take the time to meditate, you know, we can see Yahshua's life, and it's much, much deeper, and there's many more parallels that I believe that we can see. So that being the introduction to chapter 22, uh, this, like I said, this is the same conversation that came over from chapter 21, uh, same time frame, the, day, the days leading up to Passover, um, and I know Jerry went over some of this um, but I want to continue on this parable as well. So we're going to reread the parable again. And there's some other highlighted things I'd like us to, uh, to visit 
Um, and even some of those that you visited with Jerry as well, because I did, we did get to watch it, but then it, we didn't watch all the service, so I apologize to Mark already about that, because when we got to watch it, it was getting late, and we had to get up to go to the beach, so, <laughs> but, but I was able to see where, uh, what Jerry had covered with you guys, and all that was wonderful, so keep all that in mind as well, Okay. Like all parables, there is a lot to consider and to take in, okay? So Matthew 22, and Yeshua responded and spoke to them again by parables and said, the reign of the heavens is like a man, a sovereign, a king, who uh, made a wedding feast for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come again He sent out other servants saying, say to those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fattened cattle are slaughtered and all is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they disregarded it and went their way. This one to his field and that one to his trade. And the rest, having see, and the rest, having seized his servants, insulted and killed them. It's pretty intense here, in some ways. And you start thinking about. So, what do we have? Like as usual, parables are teaching us about heavenly things or something that is relative and is reality. Okay. So Messiah, we know, uh, teaches these parables, or we see them all, because we covered that uh, before, uh, even with Jerry. There's, he's using parables to really get into us, all right? All right, and it's just not clever, cute little stories. They're meant to motivate us in our minds, in our beings, and in our flesh to do things. And to have uh, to think of things. So, so obviously, it's the reign of the heavens. He's comparing Yeshua uh, uh, is comparing his father's reigning, his kingdom, how it's going to be, and then also about the son here. So this this is all in this passage. So there's a couple things I wanted to point out here. Especially, you see the highlighted where I said their way. Okay. And we'll talk a lot about other things here. So, so they were invited. Obviously, see with me. I'm just thinking simple, the simplistic part of the things. If you you know if you're invited to something, right? You get it some way or not. So we can assume these people were invited, but then chose not to. All right, just like any of us, we get an invite for something or whatever it might be. You get it in the mail. These days it's email or word of mouth or whatever it might be. All right? So we have to assume, I think it's safe to assume, that all these people were invited and aware of this wedding feast. Okay? And, for, and it's for this king's son. Okay? But they disregarded it and they went their own way. Now, my thoughts on that part of it, or at least it stood out to me, one's own way and not his ways, 
Really? I think that's a real simple way to look at it. They disregarded and went their own way, okay? Which, one of the people that I respect in, uh, a lot is Brad Scott, and I'm sure most of you are aware of him with his um, uh, Wild Branch Ministries. And when I saw their own way, it, it reminded me something that I've seen he, he speaks about a lot. And it's that issue that's here, their way. It's like saying, and man began, I'm sure if you've seen some of his uh, teachings, which you see in the scripture, whenever you have that idea that man began, really it's saying man began to do his own thing. <laughs> You know, he was given instructions, given away, and then he began to do it his own way. You know, which is, it's, obviously, it's a, it's a negative thing, and it's, it turns out to be a bad thing, especially when we see that in the beginning of Genesis, you know, this phrase has behind it, you know, man departing from the ways of our father, from those commandments. And it states this in Genesis 6.1, and it came to be when man began to increase on the face of the earth and uh, the daughters were born to them. And, uh, and then it goes on and on. And from there, it goes downhill. Okay? <laughs> that's my, you know, that's the way I see it. Because really it does. It goes downhill from there because we end up having a flood. A disciplinary action comes into play, to say the least, along with judgment. Then after the flood, man began to build a tower, and then we had issues there, right? All right, so, so all this to say, that that's what I, to me, sometimes wrapped up into that one highlighted phrase, they disregarded and went their way, okay? In my mind, when I'm reading the Bible, I see all that compacted in tiny little phrase, okay? And again, that's my opinion on that that I will put out there. And it's strange, even after the tower, it didn't seem to get any much better, did it? Barry, I'll have the mic. I think the mic's right in front of you. Give it one second. You, you touched on Genesis chapter 6. The, yes. You should read the last three, I'm sorry, last four verses of chapter 6 right there. I don't have it in front of me. I just oh, had it oh. as a... Okay, well, it says that and Noah did what was God, right in the eyes. Know what God asked him to do. Okay. Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned that because we do see there. It's interesting because we see Noah, a picture of a, in some ways, a picture of a second Adam coming back uh, in some sense, or another Adam, let's say, trying to repair that breach that happened uh, just prior to the garden. A thing. Yes. Thank you, Barry. You know, this, this doesn't go 100% along with what you got, but in a way it does. Every time you talk about us being punished, and even in the days later, like we're in 22, I think of my friend when I was a young kid. His name was Zapienza, and he was a blue, or a blue, golden gloves boxer, and we named him Zap. Because when he said he was going to zap a guy, he did it. He did it. <laughs> and this is the way the Lord does it. I'm going to warn you, and I'm going to get you. Yeah, <laughs> get you. Yeah, thanks, Dad. But no, we do see that pattern, and like uh, like what was said, and 
you know, I mean, I'm just taking little tidbit, uh, little tiny bits here, but if you see, there was this huge going on warning, uh, so to speak, and recommendations and telling you what was up before it actually happened. Yes, Joe. Okay, it's uh, verse 5 that says, uh, this one of his field and one of his trade. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of when uh, Hashua called that, and one said, well, I, haven't, I just got married, I have to go. Then the other one says, well, another reason, another reason, another reason. And this is also true of today, where Hashua is calling men, but they have other uh, priorities in their life they want to do. Exactly. No, and that, uh, thank you, Joe, because that's very clearly what's going on here, um, uh, like it's talking. And I might have gone a little bit too deep, but we see this pattern with us. Now, I have this. Here's something from Jeremiah 10.23, okay? It reads this way. Yahuwah, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not for man who walks to direct his own steps. And if you go back and you see where this takes place in Jeremiah in 10, there's other things that are connected here. But ultimately, it's saying, you know what? Or maybe I'll put it this way. Does Elohim know something that we don't? Yeah. Yes, he does. So we need his guidance. We need his words. We need to understand who he is. Because if we don't, we're, as we've seen through Scripture, we can continually run into issues and problems in our lives. Okay? Even unto death. Because that's what happened from the very beginning. We're all battling that, that, final void, uh, that final word that he has on us. But yet, we are hoping and we're trusting and knowing that there's more beyond that. Okay? Because of his words. Because if we see it play out here, then I know his promises are true as well. So... It isn't for ourselves to make out how we're going to go do things. And, and that's hard to battle. That's in our everyday lives. We have to do that. But how we combat that, you know, is by Scripture, looking at the principles that, uh, that the Father and Messiah has laid down for us and those commandments. Uh, Paul. We can also look at it as something that's uncommon. I say uncommon because how many of us have been invited to a banquet by a king or a dignitary, where they didn't send it in the mail, they didn't send it by, but he says his servants came directly. So when you look at that distinct honor, the response was as if it was something common. And if you take common versus set apart and holy, is this something holy or is this something common? Is this something that's an everyday thing? You know, your neighbor next door says, hey, come over. We got a barbecue. You say, oh, I'm busy. Mm -hmm. But if the king says, I have a wedding feast for my son, it's uncommon. It's set apart. It's holy. It is special. It is unique. So when we started looking at the reign of heavens in this comparison, I only mention that because it's an elevated honor to be invited, to be called. Oh, awesome, Paul. No, I think that's great, Paul, uh, what you're saying, because that, that's leading into this next thing that I want to make. Did you hear what he said? You know, 
Uh, it's not a common thing. And especially at a wedding, it should be in a one-time only thing. Yeah. I mean, how set apart, how holy is something like that? So, and that brings me to my next thing. Come up, some, here's some questions, and I'll, uh, you may not, uh, if you have some, it's not necessarily you have to answer, but think about these things, okay? So what happens at a wedding? I know it's a basic, stupid question, but yet do we ask these things when we're looking at what happens at a wedding, all right? Now, I know we can't all the time take it modernly, things are, are way different than when it was, but if we just look at the basics, you have two parties coming together, right? But yet, at the same time, don't you have two families joining together, you know, and beyond that? So there's a lot more to, you know, there's a lot more to weddings, you know, and I think we have to keep that in mind. Some of the simplistic things sometimes, because we're so used to, you know, these events and things in our lives, we breeze over and don't take the time to think of really the dynamics that are involved with some of the simplest things and why their father's using some of the simplest things to talk to us. You know, and as it's been said before by other people or whatever, we tend to make it really difficult. You know, you know. So, um, Here's another one, okay? Why do you go to a wedding? And that kind of matches up to, and along what Paul said. Why do you go? Or why would you go? All right? It's, and I know these are simple questions, but you've got to think about them because this is what the Father's put before us. Jan. This doesn't have anything to do with your study, but it's a kind of an interesting point in mind. We have friends who had a son who was getting married in Tampa Hotel with his girlfriend. Um, but, you know, there, there was a bunch of invited guests to come to that wedding. Uh, but a, a hurricane came through in Tampa and all the invited guests couldn't come. So they opened it up to the people who had rented rooms in that hotel that they could all come to the wedding as invited guests. And I thought that, you know, I don't know how we can put that into a biblical thing, but that's very relational too. I like that, that what they did. No, no, Jan, I don't think it's too far off to look at that same type of dynamics and compare it because what's behind it, whatever happens, it's like um, the invite goes out and most of the time, well, it, you know, it's a celebration because you see this honorable thing, it, which it should be between man and woman. I got to say that to make sure that is very clear, okay? But it's an honorable thing has been handed down and the dynamics of what it means from both parties. And at the other part, remember, um, you need witnesses, okay? And I think that plays a big part. They're just not guests. They're there witnessing, and I would hope those who attend a wedding then agree upon what they see, you know? So that's something else you got to be careful maybe on, you know, 
depending if you have certain friends. I know I have, uh, in the past there are certain friends I would not go to their wedding because of certain things, okay? Because what I'm doing in, then I'm agreeing and, you know, along that type thing. So that's another dynamic that would be behind here. So not even to want to go, that's other things. Yes, I just yeah. wanted to add to that that it was a messianic uh, biblical wedding. Mm -hmm. And uh, it gave an opportunity for all the guests who did come from the rooms in the hotel. They witnessed a very beautiful wed wedding. Um, and I think that was better treasure for the married couple than anything. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Jim. Tanya. I am actually adding to Jan's comments and piggybacking off of her, the way I relate it is that we're all, we're all uh, invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're all invited to the wedding supper. We just have to accept and come to him, and we will be allowed in. But he, he allows everybody, and he offers everybody to come in, and we just have to walk in his way. No. Thank you, Tanya. So I have, um, I'll get... Uh, Another comment here, in, or two, then I, then you, okay. Yeah, I was just thinking uh, the witnesses that you are addressing. Uh, Christ is the bridegroom, and we are the bride. And I can imagine that the angels up in heaven are looking down and seeing the hopelessness of man. And seeing that God still wants to marry his bride. Also, I think it's a witness to the universe that shows that God is love and that he's forgiving and he's compassionate. I agree. Thank you. And then, um, okay. I think the thing... The thing that wasn't pointed out yet also was you can relate Matthew 22 to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, and that's where a lot of traditional Christians get that messed up. They think everything was nailed to the cross. What happened, though, was Yeshua made the remarriage possible mm -hmm. through his final atonement because the Israelites failed the Numbers 5 test. Uh, spiritually adulterated with idolatry with false gods and the father didn't have a choice but to divorce his own people because he cannot lie according to Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 through 4 and they're unclean were, were defiled and the, uh, the animal sacrifices didn't cut it they were a covering for one thing not a complete washing or Correct. deletion yeah. And it was a foreshadow for that matter, too, for Yeshua to come. So he had to divorce us, Kiriath, according to Jeremiah 3.8. So for those of us who make the willing choice to reach out across time and do a Barabbas and be the scapegoat, since Yeshua was the goat that got it and became sin for us, uh, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, I believe, um, that's a lot of that's what's going on there too. And when you go back to Matthew 22, but a lot of them didn't make that choice. They wanted to go their own way with oral laws, commandments of men. Oh yeah, or had other interests. Oh, thank you, sir. 
So it is interesting, you know, there's a lot, and I know too, uh, we can't complete, completely compare today's type of weddings versus uh, back then. And I know we could gleam a lot more understanding how the cultural, how the culture at the time, how weddings uh, behave. So I just wanted to focus on some of the basic things that would be universal, because there is a lot of uh, Different things maybe we would sit today and look at a modern-day wedding that will not fit in uh, culturally with what was happening. We'd get uh, misunderstandings about things. So, you know, I'm just trying to look at the, the simplicity uh, of the wedding itself and we see, uh, or how we see it happens. And give me one second, Barry. Um, here's the, the interesting thing, because we know, first of all, this is going out to a people, all right? And like, uh, I forget your name uh, again. I forget your name. Merle. Because uh, uh, what he's talking about, you see, uh, uh, there's a context and a people that are a subject here while Messiah is talking and who he's talking to, all right? So he's talking about wedding feasts. So they understand a wedding feast. And if they know scripture, they see this concept that was there, that they knew, all right? So to, ultimately, it has to deal with them personally, okay? And why I'm saying that, because we go back and ultimately at Mount Sinai, something was going on. If you might not say it specifically in your scriptures, but studying and looking at things, at Mount Sinai was a wedding. When they came to that mountain, they were coming to a wedding. They were marrying their creator. All right? Now, you don't necessarily, doesn't, it's, what I've seen, it's mainly in the language and the, uh, the dynamics of the words and the phrases being used. It's wedding speech that's there at that, at that mountain, you know, and I know of me coming out of Christianity, I never knew that. I never saw that. But now that makes, to me, much bigger sense. Because remember, who was at that mountain? Israel, right? Who, regardless, Messiah is talking to Israel, all right? So I don't think it's that far of a leap to start connecting the two ideas together. Especially later on, we'll see Messiah, how he handles uh, I, the cup and that. We see even the hints, you know, if not a blatant marrying of uh, uh, wedding language in the Passover that we see that will happen. But for now, keep that in mind um, as we're looking, uh, as we go through this wedding parable. Barry, I'll, I'll let you go, and then we'll continue on into some more of the, the parable. I think there's another angle that we should be looking at, and that is from the angle that we ourselves, or, or say, I'll take myself, for instance, I was born Jewish. I knew nothing about the Messiah, and somebody, a representative of the king, I will say, came to me to, to share the good news, and I was not willing at first to accept the invitation because I didn't know who the feast was for, or who the, who's getting married, if you might say. Mm -hmm. And it was from reading scripture and getting to know who it was. 
Do you go to a wedding of somebody you don't know? Maybe. Are you more likely to go to a wedding of someone you do know? And, and what, what interests you? Yeah. So, so I'm relating it to today, to people who come in the name of the Lord to show the word of God and to share with others uh, salvation. They're the, they're the servants of the king. That's the angle I wanted to present. Excellent. Thank you, Barry. So let's continue with this parable here. Um, what we can sum up so far is the dynamics and the things that go along with the wedding, and you can ponder some more of that. And what we see, some people went their own way, but ultimately our Elohim, he has created us and he's set in boundaries for us to enjoy the gift of life. And ultimately we see obeying the rules and you live longer. I think that's a good, good theme and, and when it comes down to that. So as the parable goes along, but when the sovereign heard, he was wroth and sent out his soldiers, destroy those murderers and set their city afire. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast indeed is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Mm. Therefore, go into the street corners and as many as you find, invite to the wedding feast. Sounds like, like Jan mentioned, some kind of tornado came through or, or a hurricane come through. So this king is going to have a wedding. He wants witnesses. He wants, he's inviting people. And those servants went out into the street corners and gathered all whom they found, both wicked and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. So we talked a lot about the wedding, but I highlighted this. Look at who's invited. All right? Both the wicked and the good. Now that's going to play a part as we go uh, further into the text. Joe. Yes, uh, you mentioned Mount Shinai. There was the, the wedding. I think it was the wedding vows where God is saying, I will do this if you will do this, talking to Israel. Mm -hmm. And uh, God is also saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's like uh, telling a person in a modern-day marriage, take you better, better or worse, sickness and health. It's the fact that God uh, is uh, conveying his promise to the people of Israel. Also, it's like him us, giving us his promise today that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Exactly. Thank you. So as we continue with this, both the wicked and the good, you know, again, I have some uh, other notes here, questions that, too, and these take home with you, okay? Because I don't want to, there's so much here. Um, it's like, then we have to figure out who's getting married here, okay? Because it said his son. And it's interesting when it's saying his son is getting married to the king. Keep in mind, Israel has been addressed as a son, okay, in the text itself. Over and over, my son, Israel, my firstborn, Israel, my firstborn, Ephraim. 
And it's talking about groups of people in that sense. So, and then what was actually mentioned by another brother, I think is uh, kind of partial to this community here, is those who got a certificate of a divorce, are they being remarried? I don't know. But let's look at, let's continue on. And when the sovereign came into view the guest, he saw there a man who had, had not put on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the sovereign said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and throw him out into utter darkness. There there will be gnashing, or, or weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Why I emphasize the wicked and good being invited here. Okay, because the way it sounds like right here, they've seen this one guy here. Now, how do I say it? So when the king came, he saw this one guest, and the guest did not have the right garments, right? So I think it's safe to assume that he should have known what garments he should have been wearing at that wedding right? So he should have known the protocol. Even though, even though he may have been a wicked one who was invited, okay, it seems like there should have been a change by the time he entered into the hall, right? Because that wouldn't make sense, you know, at least to me. I don't see that's the character of our Father in heaven, inviting the wicked in just to destroy him and you're wrong, Right? No, no. I, if we look at the, that, the other things that we see in Scripture over and over again, I think, yes, you know, Messiah loves you, loves you where you, loves you and loves you, meets you where you are, but loves you enough, make sure he's not going to tell you to move out of where you're at, okay, and move towards him. Paul. She can go first. I'm sorry? Oh, Okay. All I was going to say is basically that's a good example of the ten virgins. Yes, you do. They were there and not having their lamps full. Yes. So I think there's a lot that we can learn, obviously, in this parable. Especially a lot of us, and I've heard it already, relating it to the wedding feast. Obviously, I see the parallels there with the wedding feast of the Lamb. But let's not jump to that wedding feast because we're not there yet. We've got to make sure that <laughs> we don't get kicked out, right? We're going to make sure that we have our right garments on, the right commandments that we're doing, doing those in our lives, right? So we can't jump to a... We might be invited, but we can see clearly here, all right? There's a, there can be a change there if we don't, are not consistent. Yes, Paul. You mentioned uh, inviting uh, the wicked and the good, one of the things that in Near East customs, and I don't remember where I read this, that it wasn't uncommon for a king or a dignitary to have extra clothing that they would provide for the guests if they were not clothed properly. So all one had to do is just accept the clothing, put it on so that they would have it on. So if the person, so when you, if you liken this parable to providing what would have us properly dress 
to be in front of the king, and I don't if if no, that sounds in, great. No, say it. Say it. So if you're providing something that will dress you properly, so that you can be in proper raiment or retirement or clothes, then that's putting on the Torah that God provides. You put on His way, so that you're not walking in your own way, and now you're properly dressed when you come to the ceremony. So if one chooses to come, whether they were wicked or good, then they have to accept the gift from the king, the clothes from the king to put on that will make them properly dress. And if you choose not to and you're there, it's like, what are you doing here? So you're wicked because you choose not to put on the, the proper clothes. I believe, thank you, Paul, because I believe that heart is in harmony with what the text is, what all of Scripture talks about, you know? So ultimately, you are expected to be clothed in his commandments and his righteousness. And like Paul eloquently said, he even supplies what that is. So you have no excuse. We have no excuse because we've been invited. We've been given the clothes to wear. And you even see the mercy <laughs> inviting the wicked. You know? The ones who didn't know. The ones who struggled in their lives. And I know I was there. I walked my own way. I was one of those wicked, you know? Did my own thing and I got invited. And I'm going to make sure I'm going to get there. <laughs> Kathy. You just said, you just touched me what you just said there but um all this is like really emotional for me because um i've heard a couple times today about reading the bible and i've read it a few times before just thumbing through it or whatever and i've said this before not too long ago that after becoming torah i realized that i'm starting all over again with the bible like I can't even remember anything from the past. It's all new to me, so I'm starting, like, fresh. Like, all this is just, like, foreign to me. Like, not in a bad way, but I'm excited about doing it. But the thing about marriage and the bride and the groom and all that, I know you guys heard the story before, but my, me and my husband and son were invited to this from my sister, and it was a pure accident. And after following Torah, I realized that I didn't think I was living wicked, but I was. And this is all like a, like a, I don't know the wording for it, but it's a whole new awakening and a whole light and about the bride and the groom and all that. It's like really exciting. Like, I don't even know what to say, but this is all just very emotional because it's like talk, like even being invited to the wedding, <coughs> excuse me, a wedding and about being clothed. It's an honor to be invited to the Lord and about being clothed is not just with your attire, but with your faith and your belief that you need to be clothed in that way for the Lord. Sorry, I wasn't making no, sense, but no, it's just that, emotional. Thank you, Kathy. And uh, you said something that you like, oh, going back to the beginning. But I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm always going back to the beginning of Genesis. 
all the time. Going back to the basics, I, we all have to. So <laughs> you're right up there with all of us, <laughs> was where you're at. Yeah. more exciting, more exciting as I go. It's like I'm not at that plateau like it's going to be my whole life. is going to be, I can tell it's just going to be exciting yeah. forever. Awesome. Thank you. So I only have a couple minutes here, so I'm going to, I'm going to go quickly through the, the rest I have so we can kind of sum up this, uh, this here. So many are called, few are chosen. We spoke about that in other chapters. So, and really, it comes down to this. Uh, the chosen are they who answer the call and return to the commandments, return to the Torah, Elohim's instruction for life, okay? Those who are, uh, we talked about that extensively. So, and like I said, I believe the book of Revelation speaks a lot of, uh, of here as well. Something else. The beginning of this, it said he's slaughtered his choicest uh, oxen. I want to bring this word. Remember the word basara that I probably talked about three weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer. It means good tidings. When we look at it in the Old Testament, good tidings. And it means good news. And why basara, the root of that word means flesh. And why it's good news or basura is when someone goes out, they have a great news like a wedding, all right? And they go out and they slaughter their choicest meat and invite people to that event. This event happens to be a wedding. So the good news, that flesh that has been slaughtered and brought is Yeshua. We see that clearly here in this wedding. The wedding is a good news. The good news is embedded in this wedding feast of the Most High in his son. And you, all of us, are invited. And all we have to do, because we have the invite, is show up with the right garments, and that's how we live our lives. And we will be there. So let that be encouragement to you. So the other thing I wanted to touch upon real quick here is this word friend. Now in the Greek, I couldn't connect it, but I'm, I'm only connecting it by idea. Okay? Here it says, friend, how did you come in here? That brought to mind James, which I have up there. Was not Abraham our father declared right by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that belief was working with works, meaning you got to do something. You can't just think things, okay? You got to do the commandments. You just don't th think back and have belief in your mind only. And by works, he, he, his belief was perfected. And the scriptures was filled that says, Abraham believed in Elohim, meaning he did those things, and it was reckoned to him, so, uh, him for righteousness. He got righteousness by walking it out in his life. And he was called Elohim's friend. And I just think that was interesting. You see then that a man is declared right by the works and not by just believing in one's mind only. Back to that idea of friend. The word friend being there, 
I was surprised when I tracked it down. It's actually Isaiah's where James is quoting from. But you, Israel, my servant, remember I was telling you how the son and is a metaphor at the same time for all of us. We are all a son. Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, uh, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. So to keep this real brief so I can close, this idea, this friend here is what brought to my mind. That word is hava, meaning love, my uh, lover, okay? And it's used in uh, uh, various wells, but this particular root of this verb here, uh, I'll just read it. It's uh, an intensive active, okay? It stems from something being used to express an intense type of action with an active voice, okay? And that's all grammatical stuff. But let me, I, how I understand it, Abraham was loving Elohim by doing and making active in his life on a continual basis. And that's why he was called friend. And that's why he was called a loved one. And that's what we need to be, because that is all over. Love Yahuwah with all your heart, with all your mind, your soul, your being, by doing something over and over and over again. That's what the text says. So we see this, to me, is even embedded within the wedding feast. I can at least show you why I got where I got when I was looking at this. So, but we are past time. I have to close, everyone. So save your comments for next week or right after here. So... Thank you for your time, and we'll get back to this next week. I think it might be John. So let me close in prayer. Father Yehovah, we give you great thanks. We thank you for the invite. Father, may we all answer that. May we put on that clothing of righteousness, and we know that you are merciful, and you will help us to become the guests and to be married back to you, Father Yahuwah, through the blood of your son, your only son, Yahshua. We thank you for that gift that we, the depths of it, we still don't completely understand. But thank you, Father Yahuwah. Amen. Be blessed today. And uh, thank you for, uh, I'm honored that I had your attention. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. We'll be back in about 20 minutes. So. We'll come back. Thank you again, everyone.